There's a movie I like to watch with my kids. We've watched several times. Perhaps you've seen it. It's called The Ultimate Gift. Um, it's, it's got broad Christian themes in it. And what it's about is about a, a rich man who's a billionaire who is dying of cancer and uh, was planning on passing his estate on to his children and grandchildren. And his children were all spoiled brats. They were gluttons. They were um, greedy. They were backbiting and infighting kind of people, just ready to get their hands on his wealth, could care less about him. And the grandson had become that way. The grandfather had always hoped that this grandson would turn out different, however, than his other children. And so to, to receive his portion of his inheritance, he had to pass a series of tests. And it's all about uh, the character of the person, right? Um, you, you're not going to get your inheritance unless you can prove the character necessary to handle such an inheritance. And uh, the, the whole movie is about the young man battling against this, fighting against this, but at the end coming to realize he needed some major changes in his life. And he humbled himself, he made the changes, and at the end he finds out the entire inheritance of the grandfather goes to him. And uh, by that point, he had the character behind the money. And the whole movie's point is, look, the ultimate gift was not the billion-dollar inheritance. The gift was the character behind that necessary to handle it. We're doing a theme for Christmas, December, on some of God's greatest gifts. Last week, we looked at those gifts that come in packaging that's not very desirable on the outside. And that's the gift of suffering. But nonetheless, it is a gift of God and it does so many things in and for us. Uh, it is truly a gift of God that He allows suffering to happen. Whether it's uh, because we're going wayward in our hearts with sin issues or because we're suffering for righteousness' sake, either way, the Lord brings about tremendous good through suffering. This morning, we're going to look at an indescribable gift that is behind all things that we have as Christians. Um, and we may not think of this as a gift, but we're going to consider the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, that is what Jesus called the Holy Spirit in part, that uh, He would give us His Holy Spirit upon His ascension into heaven. And it was beneficial that He do so, because if He didn't, the ministry of the church would not thrive. It would not be what it is today. There's, by the way, I want to plug this, um, a book over here with our Scattering Seed ministry by a man named Andrew Murray on the Holy Spirit. I would highly encourage you to, uh, to fight your way over there and steal it from one another. Um, that book is tremendous. I used it in my sermon prep this, this morning, uh, or this week rather, for this morning. I put it back on the shelf. Uh, if you haven't ever read Andrew Murray, he was, he was a South African pastor, very, very spiritual and deep, and he's a tremendous, tremendous influence for the church. So if you're interested at all in a broader study of who the Holy Spirit is and what his work is, uh, that would be a tremendous resource for you. First Peter 4, this is not going to be our primary text at all, I'll just quote it to you, but Peter talks about the grace of God, and unfortunately, most English translations don't really capture the weight of this. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
as good stewards of God's varied grace. That word varied is sometimes translated as manifold. What it means literally is many colored. God's grace is many colored because there are many situations in life to which it needs to match up. Um, it is, it is sufficient in anything and everything that we could face. And that's what makes it many colored. It's a tremendous idea of God's grace. And it's, it's very applicable when we consider the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, as I started making my outline, um, the list of, of who the Holy Spirit is and what He does for us kept growing and growing and growing. And I had to just kind of cut it off and say, okay, which ones do I want to focus on? But I want to, the ones I'm not going to focus on, I want to mention some of the things that, that the Holy Spirit does for us is He strengthens us strengthens us in our inner man, Paul says. He comforts us. We looked at that last week. He abides in us and with us. He convicts us of sin. He leads us. He is the great administrator of the church. He gives us gifts in order to serve Him. And the list really could go on. We're going to talk about several aspects this morning. We're going to talk about how He regenerates us, how He helps us, how He seals us, how He teaches us, and how He prays for us. These are tremendous gifts that God has given to us through His Holy Spirit and worthy of us to look at. So the first point in God's gift of the Holy Spirit to us must be that He gives us life and life eternal. He regenerates us is the biblical word. In Titus 3.5, you don't have to turn there, Paul says this, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. In John 3, if you've been coming to our men's study group, Jesus says very clearly in John 3, that unless one is born of the Spirit and water, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It is necessary for man to have a rebirth because spiritually we are dead to God. Regeneration is just that. It is the impartation of life to something that was dead. In our case, it's the impartation of spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. Every one of us is spiritually dead to God. We are born separated from God. And so every person who's ever lived has this need of spiritual rebirth. It is the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit of God that can give us this spiritual life. We can't pass it on to our own children because we don't have it. We can't impart spiritual life to another through our own works, though the works may be beneficial to them. Jesus, three chapters later in John chapter 6, 63, says this very clearly and simply. He says, it is the Spirit that gives life, the flesh is of no avail. So this is the first dilemma of all people when it comes to spiritual life. We all have need of it, and yet none of us can, can give it to each other. It can only be given by the Spirit of God. There's a second dilemma, though, when it comes to spiritual life. Paul identifies it in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He says this, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the context that Paul's speaking of here 
meaning by the letter, the letter kills. He's talking about the law, the letter of the law. Keeping and doing every last point of the law, Paul says, will never impart life to you. In fact, the nature of the law is that it can only bring death. That is it. And so the letter kills. When it finds sin in you, it tells you you are worthy of death. Those who practice such things must die. That's all the law can do. It is the Spirit who gives life. So the first dilemma, we can't pass on spiritual life to one another. The second dilemma, we can't earn spiritual life. It's a tremendous dilemma for every person. And that ushers us in to why the gift of the Holy Spirit in regenerating us is such a grand gift to consider this Christmas. If God had not graciously poured out His Spirit, then the resurrection that Jesus accomplished would only have benefited Himself. Jesus would have benefited from the resurrection. He would have ascended on high, and He would have stayed on high. But unless the Spirit had been poured out, we would have never enjoyed the benefits of what Jesus achieved for us. Hallelujah! The Spirit of God has been given, and we now have access to eternal life. In grace, God extended the application of what Jesus achieved on our behalf to us when He came. So, we cannot earn life, nor can we impart it to each other. That's okay. The Spirit of God has been given to do just this. Wonderful grace of God. The second point I want to talk about, though, and how the Holy Spirit is a gift to us, is this general phrase, He helps us. Now, it sounds pretty generic until you really start examining how much help we need. (laughs) The Bible paints a picture of us that we are invalids in every way. (laughs) We get nothing right. We can do nothing. We are completely helpless. The flesh, as we just quoted, is of no avail. But what happens when we're born again is that doesn't change. We're still invalids. We don't look to our flesh to achieve anything. But when we are born again, now there's this dichotomy in every born-again believer where the flesh now wages war against the Spirit who lives in us. Paul stated it in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, saying, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, because these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. That's the reality now for any person who's been born again. You have your old flesh nature that wants to sin, and now you have the new nature in Christ through the Spirit of God that wants to do righteousness. And Paul says they are at war, and they will always be at war. So what is God's gift of the Holy Spirit? He helps us overcome the flesh. John 14, 15-17, Jesus says, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. In verse 26 of that same chapter, He identifies the Holy Spirit again as the Helper. saying, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things. This word helper in the Greek is such a beautiful word. It was a common word in the Greek back then, and it's 
Parakletos, it literally means one who comes alongside to help you. They, they come as one yoking themselves to you to help carry a burden, to help you along the way. And Jesus says He's giving the Holy Spirit to be that. And He says He's giving Him forever. He will be with you forever. The title Helper is a wonderful title for people who, according to the first beatitude in Matthew 5, are poor in spirit. Right? When you recognize the poverty of spirit that you possess, when you've tried on your own strength to battle against sin and failed and failed and failed, what you need to understand is that God has given you a helper to help you overcome those things. As believers, we have many needs and we have many areas that we need help in. I wrote down just some. We have weaknesses of the flesh with no power over to come sin. He gives help. We have weaknesses of mind, not able to penetrate or understand truth. The Holy Spirit helps us. We have physical infirmities that's not linked to sinfulness, just natural weaknesses of the bodies, limitations. He gives us help. We have trouble in our spiritual disciplines, especially prayer and the study of the Word. The Holy Spirit gives help here too. We even have relational weaknesses with one another in the body, within a family, with the world. The Holy Spirit is there to help as well. And you can extend the application to every part of your life. And you need to. You get the idea. There's not an area of life that isn't touched by the Spirit of God in giving us help. In every area. He permanently indwells us, and then He permanently abides with us. His home is with us, and He is in it for the long haul, in other words. So when someone turns to the Lord, who's standing there to help? The Holy Spirit. Always permanently ready to help the humbled sinner. It would be too narrow, though, of a definition to understand Jesus is only saying that the Advocate or the Helper is intended to mean only that He comes to aid us in our weaknesses. The primary ministry of help that the Holy Spirit gives is helping us glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to get to the quote at the end of the sermon where it shows this just that, but it's certainly... The the help of the Holy Spirit certainly does entail the weaknesses of life that we encounter. But the larger and really more important aspect of the ministry of the Spirit is that He's given to help the believer for the cause of the Gospel. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is coming to take of mine and glorify Him. The Holy Spirit's objective is to help us glorify the name of Christ. Through a holy life, and through true proclamation of the Gospel. And He does just that. He's given to the world to magnify the name of the Lord in the ministry of the Gospel through the church. The third point I want to talk about in the gift of the Holy Spirit is that He seals us. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. This is such a cool picture. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, 
were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Ephesus was a very major city in Paul's day. It was one of the, housed one of the world wonders. It was a major trading port because it had seaports as well as land access. And so ships would bring their wares to the city and offload them in the city. People from the east would come to Ephesus to, to buy and trade. And they would also send out tremendous merchandise from Ephesus to the west, back to Rome. And these merchants, what they would do is they would take a wax stamp and as they bought merchandise there and loaded it on a ship, they would stamp their merchandise with a special seal that was their seal. It was the wax seal so that when that merchandise got to Rome, their servants or their business partners or whoever, when they were unloading the merchandise, they would see, oh, that's my master's seal. And they'd produce a like stamp and then they'd acquire possession of the merchandise. Paul draws on that idea for the Ephesians. He says, you know what the Holy Spirit is? He's your seal. The God has, God has given you His Holy Spirit to seal you, to put His stamp on you. Why? Because He's coming to take possession of you one day. That's what he says. This idea is so wonderful for the Christian. What a gift. In fact, Paul later in this book in 4.30, chapter 4, verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for that day of redemption. When God acquires possession of you, don't grieve Him. What does this imply for us? What's the takeaway for us in God sealing us with His Spirit? One, it shows us that the sufficiency of salvation is of Christ. It's finished. Right? There's nothing left to be done. Nothing that we can add to what Christ did. There's nothing required of us except to believe in order to be guaranteed redemption. It is finished. It is accomplished. And Paul says in verse 13, it was when you believed the Gospel, He set a seal on you. Mine. The work is finished. Do you struggle with doubts in your salvation? Because you have ongoing sin struggles. Think upon this verse. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and confessed Him, He sets His seal on you. You're His. The second point is this. We can't lose it. The sealing of the Spirit, Paul says, is God's down payment to you. He's put a down payment on you, and what He's saying is, I'm coming back to take possession. Here's my pledge. Again, do you struggle with doubt? Do you struggle with fear of that? Meditate on that verse. God has sealed us with His Spirit to acquire possession of us. What a tremendous blessing and beautiful truth this entails. Especially in a world in which many of us still struggle in our battle against sin. Is it not? The fact that His Holy Spirit has been given to us and He seals us tells me that no matter what I may struggle with in my flesh, during the rest of my time here, God has set His seal on me nonetheless telling me I'm His. Moreover, I never have to doubt His promise of being united with Him. His down payment guarantees me that He's coming to take possession of it. The fourth thing I want to talk about in the gifting of the Holy Spirit is that He teaches us. 
The two verses we read in John 14, verse 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said. In His letter, in His epistle, the first epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 and 27, John would later write this, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. The anointing, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that you've received from Him abides in you, And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. It's humbling as a pastor when you can study all week and look up the Greek words and study the context and cross-reference and da-da-da-da-da. And then you come to church and someone who's worked 45-hour a week at work maybe gets 10-15 minutes of time in the Bible basically has the same insight you do in the Word of God. (laughs) But I love that. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit is able to teach that person the same as He's able to teach me. There is a spiritual element when we study the Word of God. It is not simply a carnal activity of acquiring knowledge. That's, by the way, why I like Andrew Murray, whom I'm trying to point you guys to. He has theological knowledge, but he has spiritual insight, which many lack. The Holy Spirit is given to us to teach us all things. The teaching ministry of the Spirit of God within the church and in the hearts of believers is an immeasurable gift and aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but if you're like me, you didn't really grow up with theological knowledge and theological background. So when you came to faith, you have a lot to learn. And it is terrifying for people who've not grown up with the Word of God in their life. It's overwhelming. And when I began studying the Bible, I can remember the first time I opened it, it was a foreign language to me. I had no idea where to start. I had no idea how to connect the dots. I didn't know what Old and New Testament was all about. I had no clue. But patiently and slowly and persistently, the Spirit of God began to teach me. Sermons are good. Books are are good. But there's nothing that can separate or replace the instrument of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit uses in our life. Some of the ways that He teaches us There's a lot. I didn't write them all down. But in in our verse in John 14, Jesus says this. He reminds us. He brings back to memory certain truths. And maybe you can attest to this in your own Christian life, right? Maybe you're witnessing to someone and you have no idea what to say to that person. And then all of a sudden, a passage, clear as day, shoots into your mind and you know just what to tell that person. Theological insight. Is that just a natural working or is that the Holy Spirit's operation bringing to remembrance? Yes. That's His work. In fact, Jesus said that in Matthew, right? Don't worry about what you say when they drag you before kings because the words will be given to you in that moment. I can't tell you. I was just talking to one of the men in our men's study yesterday afterward. I can't tell you how many situations as a pastor I encounter where you don't realize this, but I come to the situation completely ignorant as to what to say to you. (laughs) Maybe that's grounds for you to fire me. I don't know. But it's true. I'm still young. I have not encountered every possible situation under the sun. And there are so many times I'm, I'm like, God, I don't know what to say. 
I don't, I don't see insight here. And so what I do, and this is my habit, I do it every time, is I just pray silently in my heart. God, give me insight. God, give me insight. God, give me words. And I listen, and I listen. And sure enough, without fail, the Holy Spirit begins to bring Scriptures to my memory. Now what's important for you is this, that you're in the Word of God. You may not understand what you're reading at the time. You may not know why you're at this particular passage. It's feeding you nonetheless, and it might be for a future use. Stay in the Word. Position yourself in the Word of God to be used by God in spreading His Gospel. He will bring back to memory those things. He says the same thing in John chapter 2 as a cross-reference. He also teaches us the general truths of Scripture. He helps us understand the big picture, in other words, of His plan in the world, where things are going. And conversely, He teaches us important, specific truths, specifically concerning Jesus Christ. Um, another old pastor I love reading was a, a minister in D.L. Moody's day. If you know who Dwight L. Moody was, the world evangelist. His name was R.A. Torrey. Wrote a real good work, if you're ever interested in it, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it was one of the very first books, Christian books, that I read after I became a believer. And it was the first time I'd actually heard that the Holy Spirit was a person. Uh, I always called the Holy Spirit it. Since I read his book, I call the Holy Spirit him. Okay? R.A. Torrey in his book said this, It is only through the testimony of the Holy Spirit directly to our hearts that we ever come to a true living knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, without the Holy Spirit teaching someone, you can be like the Pharisee, as Jesus said, who searches the Scriptures, but because they didn't believe in Jesus, they searched in vain. How many people do you know who have excellent biblical knowledge, no knowledge of Jesus? What's missing in their life? The Holy Spirit's work. That's what's missing. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals the Lord Jesus to every person's heart and continues to reveal Him and teach you of His glory and His grace. No amount of Bible reading alone or listening to sermons or listening to people's testimonies or reading of books can teach you as the Holy Spirit can teach you. So when you read, when you study the Word of God, the most important thing you can pray for is the Holy Spirit, teach me these things. That's part of the gift to us. The last thing, and this is what a comfort is the Holy Spirit's gift to us means that He abides with us to pray for us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 26 and 27. Now Paul, if, you, if you've studied the book of Romans and you follow the context, it is such an amazing book to study. In chapter 7, chapter 6 essentially, Paul has gotten to the place where he's identified the gospel and how a person comes to faith in Christ. Chapter 6 and 7, he starts identifying the new reality for a believer is basically what he said in Galatians 5. You're still going to sin. You still have this flesh nature to contend with. Romans 8, he gives us the solution. But in verse 26 of Romans 8, he says, Likewise, 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I didn't even talk about the flip side of this coin. Jesus in heaven is also praying for you, according to Hebrews 7. And actually, Hebrews 7 says, He always lives to make intercession for you. While on earth, Jesus has given us His Spirit to pray for us as well. Do you realize what God has done for you? You have an advocate in heaven, and you have an advocate on earth. How tremendous is that? But what is the Holy Spirit praying for us? Specifically, He's praying according to the will of God when we don't know what that is. This is an important point, especially for me. I, I particularly apply this to my situation and to Bo and Dwayne's situation in ministry as, as shepherds. Because it is so important when we pray that we are praying according to the will of God. And very often, our prayers aren't lined up with the will of God. How many times have you looked back and said, man, I can't believe I was even asking for that. Maybe we should actually be more thankful for some of the prayers God hasn't answered than the ones He has. Because we don't always pray according to the will of God. And that's for several reasons. Maybe it's because we've got Selfish motives, right? Sinful motives in our heart. But maybe it's because we just don't really know. Again, by way of confession, there has been innumerable times in the last two and a half years since Waypoint planted, I don't know. <laughs> this is why I particularly love, particularly love the way our eldership works. When we don't know, you know what we do? We stop and pray. We don't take a vote. <laughs> We stop and we seek the will of God. That's what's commanded. The Spirit of God knows what the will of God is. Now, why is this important? Let me say this. Because if, if we're not praying according to the will of God, we can actually do tremendous damage. I'll illustrate that so, I, so you can see what I mean. <clears throat> I'm a parent. You guys know that I'm a parent five times over now. And I pray that my children never get caught up in drugs. I've watched drugs destroy people, friends, and it terrifies me. Even as a, when I was lost, I, I had nothing to do with drugs because I saw friends destroyed by it. But I know that that's a real temptation out there. But let's, for, for an argument's sake, say that one of my children gets addicted to drugs. And they're an adult. They're out of my house. They get busted by the cops. And they're facing 10 years federal prison time. I know in my flesh, you know what I'd pray for? Oh God, I pray they don't go to prison. Don't let that happen. And it would be a heartfelt prayer. It would be a serious prayer. And it would be a prayer not according to the will of God. Because the best thing for that person might be that they go to prison. You see what I'm saying? Let me take you to some scriptures Go to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 21 and following. It 
In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now follow this. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, unless your accuser hands you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and they put you in prison. Now does Jesus say, and I'll come and bail you out? What's he say? Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. That's Jesus' words. It's just. If your accuser says you've defrauded him and it's true, guess what? You're paying the last penny. And he's not going to bail you out of that. That would be praying and dealing with someone according to the will of God. We have an idea of grace and mercy that overlooks an offense in dealing with it. That's not what grace and mercy does. Grace always deals with it in truth and justice and righteousness. And so, how many times in our life do we not know how to pray according to the will of God? Very often. This is why I quoted, I quoted this passage a couple weeks ago in our sermon. This is why God was pleased with Solomon when Solomon prayed and asked God, God, you have a great people here and I don't know how to lead them in wisdom. And God said, that pleases me. I'll give you wisdom on how to lead them. Why? Because He would lead them in truth. He would lead them in righteousness. He would lead them in justice, all according to the will of God. The cycle of prayer is very beautiful to look at in Scripture. According to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, God is at work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasures. You see, God places His desires in your heart. He's working in you to will. Okay, His Holy Spirit is placing the desires of God, true desires, right desires, holy desires in your heart. And then what do we do? We say, God, I have this desire in my heart. I offer it back up to You. Is it of You? Does it conform to Your Word? Does it conform to the character of Christ? Is it true? And when it is, it's offered back to God. So it begins with God working His will in our heart. His desires then become our desires. And then we pray and offer it back to Him. That's, by the way, in, in Ephesians and in Jude, both places it says pray in the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. You pray according to the will of God. You're walking in Him in truth. In 2 Chronicles 16, if you want to make your way to Second Chronicles, we'll wrap up with this. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. You know this verse. You've heard it, I'm sure. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. In other words, God is looking for people whose hearts are in harmony with His. 
He's looking to and fro for people whose hearts, desires, harmony, or will is in harmony with His. And you know what He does for them? He gives strong support to them. He gives strong support to them. He will use them greatly in His kingdom. Now all these aspects of the Holy Spirit's work in our life goes back to my opening illustration. He does all this behind the scenes, so to speak. <laughs> there's, a, there's a wonderful book. In fact, it was a book I wanted to order and, and start selling here um, by this man, Bruce Ware. He's a professor, a theologian. He's tremendous in his stuff. Uh, this book, unfortunately, is out of print, so we can't order it in mass to get it for you. You can still find copies here and there. This book on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Relationships, Roles, and Relevance. And for those of you who are particularly interested in how the, the Trinity um, is a model for relational community, that's the last chapter in his book. I would recommend you get this. He's a tremendous, tremendous um, author. I want to read to end what he says. I didn't want to type it all out because it was too long. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. He says, The Holy Spirit, though the Holy Spirit is God, equal in essence to the Father and the Son, His role, nonetheless, is consistently to defer honor, to seek to bring the glory of another. Imagine that, he asks. It is Always, with emphasis, it is always the role of the Spirit to bring honor to the Son, to the ultimate glory of the Father. Do you think there's a lesson in this for us? We can find it difficult, even on a temporary basis, to be the behind-the-scenes person who's not recognized. There's something in all of us that wants to be seen and to receive the credit for what we've done. To accept the behind-the-scenes position where no one may know and notice the service we've rendered is difficult. To work sacrificially, all for the purpose of pointing constantly to another and for the honor he might receive, can be extremely hard to accept. But this is the way of the Spirit. And this is the power that is at work in us to help us to serve to the honor of Christ, that he might receive all the glory. When this happens, it will not be of our doing. Our flesh resists this at every step, but it helps enormously to realize that this not only is our calling to the glory of our Lord and Master, but it is the eternal role and delight of the Spirit of God. And this Spirit indwells us to give us His power so to live. What a beautiful summary. God's greatest gifts sometimes are not even recognized. But He's always present, always working, always moving. Immeasurable. Let's pray. I'll call Ronnie up and we'll worship the Father for His goodness to us. Father God, as we celebrate Christmas and just taking this month to, to get a perspective on the love of God which says, you loved us, so You gave us something. In fact, what You've given us is many things, Lord. Your grace is many-colored. And it's just been such a delight to look at these many-colored graces. Fathers, we worship this morning. I'm remindful of what You said in John 4, that You are seeking those who will worship You in spirit and in truth. 
Father, may we recognize the gift of your Spirit to us here today that even moves in us now that our praise might be acceptable to you. Father, we ask that you'd sanctify our hearts, that you draw us close to you, that you teach us truth in the inner man, that you'd strengthen us in the inner man to serve you. Father, that you'd refine our hearts, that we wouldn't be seeking our own glory, but the glory of Christ. It's such a blessing in, in our men's small group to be looking just at the person of Jesus that we might be in awe of Him. And what a lesson this has been in that. Your gift of the Spirit, always here, always present, always moving, always leading, always comforting, always teaching, always praying that we might glorify the Son because He's worthy of it. May that be done now as we leave. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.